this week on Another Brother. But uh, I'm sure there's a ton of people out there who are going to want to be pirates, though. Oh, yeah, the crap load yeah. of I mean, people that are good. Yeah, so they're following very off. closely. But maybe not. I, I, mean, might have been, I, I never lived with Grandma, but I might have been chilling with Grandma. On the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> okay. For five years afterwards, if I smelled propane, <laughs> Start I growling. would salivate and my stomach would growl. Brother over there, brother over there, brother everywhere. My friend, okay, my friend Travis, who is totally like Utah through and through, very Logan, Cache Valley, Utah. He he looks so Slavic, like just very, I don't know, Eastern European looking. <laughs> and so when we were over in, in Europe making, it was so funny because everyone would talk to him and he'd be like, why is really? everyone talking to me? I'm like, because they think you speak their language, dude, <laughs> because... <laughs> You look like that. <laughs> He'd always get so mad. He's like, I do not. <laughs> Man, I heard that I looked like just so many weird random things when I was in Italy. Like, uh, you know, I talked to, to one missionary about how we were starting to get into being Scottish. She was, she's, she was from um, Sweden. Hmm. No, sorry, Switzerland. Yeah. Um, Swiss, not Swede. Yeah. I did know an elder from Sweden, but this sister missionary, she thought, uh, once I said it, she was like, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, you look Scottish. It's like, okay. I I don't actually know what that even means yet. At that point, I had no idea what it meant to look Scottish. And I still am not sure I really know. No. I mean, the only real literary description I've ever seen of someone Scottish is Sherlock Holmes, who is tall and lanky. No. And, and that's not what you normally think no. of for a Scotsman. Right. In, um, oh, what's the story and who's the author? <laughs> <laughs> if I had my phone off an airplane, I could look. Um, kidnapped? Is that the story? Uh, he describes... A Stuart, even. <laughs> Alan Breck Stuart, I think. And he describes him as a short of stature, dark-haired, wild-eyed-looking man with... We did it! <laughs> with, uh, <laughs> like, a pockmarked face, oh, which is the sign of... Spoke too soon. No, no, no. So that's the sign of uh, having lived through, um, what is it, um, cowpox or something. There's some... Oh, um, small... Man, no, I can't remember. Pox. But yeah, so these pocked cheeks on his face. But wherever he went, he always had like two swords and two silver pistols on his hip and was like just a crazy, <laughs> crazy <guy>. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> but nice. when I was in Germany, the Germans pegged me for German. Hmm. I've heard that one too. Which is weird because all of the Germans that I was around were like, Pretty much, pretty tall, much taller than I was. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, but still, you know, darker hair and everything, darker features. But. Shall we be citizens of the stars? <laughs>
before you start, since you're uh, <laughs> trying to figure out what you're going to do. I'm waffling. Um, <laughs> I saw a morphologist. Morphologist, yeah. Video today. Yeah. Is there one today? Yeah, on yeah. 3.18. Or is that Python? I don't know. Yeah, it's 3.18 is the next update, yeah. Yeah, and he talks about the soft kill. Right. Yes. So, newest and greatest. Yeah, I was going to talk about that a little bit. Cool. So, Star Citizen is a massively multiplayer online game that is nothing like World of Warcraft, the most commonly known massively multiplayer online game. Massively multiplayer online game just means it's played by a bunch of people all at the same time and it's online. The point of the game is to kind of just live a fantasy life out in space in the year 2952 doing something that you think would be a cool thing to do in the future like uh if you really want to be uh if you want to do something that some people call really boring you can deliver packages that's a type of job you can have you can be a cargo hauler which involves a lot more it's more like wild west cargo hauling where like you got to have somebody riding shotgun in your turret to take out the pirates that are definitely going to come for you because the law isn't a great resource out in space. Because how do you police all of outer space? What about probably one of the most fascinating jobs you can do, which is mapping wormholes? Yeah, there's not a lot of information on that yet. But uh, in fact, they've kind of changed that since a little bit since they've they first talked about it uh, back in, I don't know, 2013 or something like that. But the ship that I bought originally uh, was made for that purpose, for mapping mm. what they call jump points in the game. There, uh, yeah, there's going to be some undiscovered wormholes out there that if you have the right computers on your ship, as you are piloting by hand manually piloting your ship through this thing the computer will be recording uh, uh, the course that you take to get through it correctly without falling out into I don't even know where we don't like to think That's about how it. It works. <laughs> yeah your your computer will record the course necessary and then I mean you can sell that data hand. Yeah. yeah, right. Is this something that's already live? Can you already be doing this? No, there are no jump points okay. that you can pilot. So we don't know what the visualization itself looks like. That's so not that true. No, we do know in the wormhole. We know. Oh, well, you're gonna know <laughs> when you're in the wormhole. They've shown some previs um, effects that okay. are probably gonna be what we end up with. All right, I gotta look that up. Um, it it looks very much like you're inside of. It reminded me of what it would look like to be inside of a heart like flying your ship through a heart hmm. through all these valves mm -hmm. and uh like if, uh, so like if all of your split yep yep oh, there will wow. be forks here and there Jeez. but i'm sure they converge again back yeah. into the same thing oh. um and it's constantly pulsing okay. like like if so it's very clear you're approaching the edge oh yeah okay. yeah yeah yeah. Okay. yeah it's very close to real wormholes yeah, they did a really good job. They, I'm sure they, they talked to NASA and yeah, Elon yeah. Musk and Interstellar guy, right? Shoot, yeah, who was that? Some supercomputer, Matt Damon. Yeah, um, and then once you have those 
coordinates recorded in your computer, you can sell it to... Oh yeah, that's cool. I mean, that's that's kind of the idea. It's not very well defined right now how that's going to work, but yeah. uh, that's what I've been working off of. I watched a, a video of a guy with a sweet little four-wheel rig on a, on a planet with a laser blasting minerals to mining yeah. to mine. Yeah. yeah, that's called a... Shoot. Mining. Isn't it just mining? Well, yeah, that, the I mean, that career path. Out, that oh. game. Oh. Yeah, but that oh. piece, it's a rock, an ROC. It's a, a little four-wheeler with like a, a laser bird. arm. Yeah. Yeah, ROC. Okay. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure what other people in the community call it, if they call hmm. it a rock or if they call, call it an ROC, but I've always called it a rock. Is it a remotely operated something? Uh, I don't think it's remotely operated because oh, yeah, you're no. sitting in the driving seat. it, oh, controlling dang. the arm with the laser and everything. But that's something you can do. You know, you can throw one of these into the back of like a pickup truck type ship and fly down to a planet, scan for minerals, go mine them, and uh, refine them at a space station and sell that ore. You can, I mean, or if <clears throat> I don't want to do all the hard work and I want let want to let you do all the prospecting and mining. Then I can just interject your ship in flight, go into uh, FPS tractor mode. Beam. Well, there's no tractor. Yeah, eventually you'll be able to tractor beam. They're not implemented yet. Oh, really? No ship tractor beams. Yeah, but no they ship, have little yeah. handheld okay. ones. But um, but yeah, I can just. I would have to force you to pull over, mm-hmm. and or sneakily board your ship. Mm-hmm. But then we've got like hand to hand weapons and uh, first person shooter. Rifles, bow rifles, lasers, uh, percussive like kinetic ammunitions, anything from sniper rifles to bow rifles to handguns, and you can go into like full-on FPS shipboarding mode, and then I can steal all your cargo and load it up in my ship. FPS in this instance means first-person shooter. Pew pew. And yeah, they're actually changing that up. They're changing cargo the way cargo works. So right now. If you blow up someone's ship... Yes, I just saw a video about this. A small portion of the cargo they were carrying will just be scattered around in tiny little boxes. Um, They're changing that up so that uh, up to 95% of it can be salvaged, reclaimed uh, in the larger cargo containers that everybody's been wanting it to spawn as. Um, I don't... I've never really cared about cargo a whole lot personally, so I haven't been paying attention to the ins and outs specifically of exactly how things are changing, but uh, everybody's pretty excited. I'm sure there are people out there who are going to want to be pirates, though. Oh, yeah, the crap load of people that are just going to Yeah, so they're following very closely. Big time. Yeah, it changes everything for for these people. Mm -hmm. And in 318... It makes it lucrative now if you can get that much of the... The average is 45%. Of the cargo load will mm-hmm. be um, dispersed. I think sixty to forty-five percent yeah, is what okay. they're shooting for. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, dang. And uh, in the next update to the game, three eighteen, three point eighteen, ships are supposed to be able to be disabled without them exploding. Right now, you shoot a ship enough, it explodes. There's no disabling a ship to like pirate it. It explodes, and then maybe you get some of the loose cargo out of that. Uh, okay. If you can find it. If you can find it, because the boxes are teeny tiny. And it's, you know, you're in space, so everything's 
super black. Well, you're not necessarily in space. You could have taken them down in atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. Or they could be landed on the ground even, and you sneak up on them, fly in fast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ooh. That's one of the greatest things about this game is that if you, it's, it's like the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. If you can see the place, you can go there. You can put your feet on it. You can land there. There's no animation that takes you from outer space down to a specific landing spot down on the planet, and you can only get out there. No, you can fly anywhere, all the way down to a planet, get out, do stuff, explore a cave, maybe even take a mission where you're trying to find someone who disappeared, and the last known place they went to was a cave. They were going to go spelunking and they told someone and you have to go find them in that cave. Which used to be the way that I made most of my money. I would take those Mm. missions and my little handheld mining laser and I'd go down into these caves, do some handheld mining while looking for bodies. It was kind of fun, you know, at the time. There wasn't a whole lot of gameplay at that point in time in the game yet, but... That was the most mind-blowing thing for me the first time I played was um, starting off on a space station, getting my uh, ship delivered to a loading point, getting on, flying out, and I didn't know how to quantum spool or quantum jump or anything. And so literally flying for like an hour and a half <laughs> in real time <laughs> no because i there was a planet that had been developed already and i really wanted to get to this dang planet but i didn't know how to quantum spool or quantum jump or whatever and so i put a tv show on and just pointed my <laughs> ship in the right direction and just are you kidding me <laughs> held this forward arrow key down <laughs> or uh, the yeah W A S D W whatever. And, uh, I hope you knew how to decouple your engines. From I this was so early. no, and still a contention point I have is there's so many controls. To remember, so it's many. pretty complex, yeah. but yeah. it's worth it. But yeah, just flying for literally like an hour and a half, two hours of real Earth time, but then seeing the planet on the horizon, and then you're just your ship just enters atmosphere, and now you're flying with atmospheric physics and then you know all the way up until you land it was it's just wild like the whole thing just streamed in and it definitely made it feel like phys- physicality like you were physically yeah moving through this space and did we mention the planets are procedurally generated yeah yeah so these aren't like developers and designers going in there and handcrafting building out every single planet yeah a lot of the um a lot of the impressive things that um your average uh video game player probably doesn't um understand not respect or but care about even care really. about is all of the effort going and funding and resourcing going into developing the tools and the tech stack behind making this game work there's so many technical feats you know to this the servers how the servers are doing this persistent universe um and just i don't know it's amazing yeah a lot of it is stuff that just nobody has really done before some of it maybe has been done before but not on this scale and because of the scale you have to make some fundamental changes to make it work at this scale 
because like these planets they're obviously not full scale planets one thing that i've always been interested in is how the how are they going to reproduce earth what what scale are they going to do because our system star system the soul system will be in the game at some point really yeah oh that's interesting Sweet. yeah so i want to know what what kind of scale they're going to give earth well, they, um for um boundary 42 isn't earth going to be squadron like, 42 or squadron oh my god foundry 42 what's foundry i, I can't 42? think i don't know i it was on my it was on the tip of my Is tongue. that warhammer foundry there's some that might be the guys that do warhammer. okay it is sounding familiar now i can't think of it but yeah squadron 42 uh, there's a big part on earth right i don't know <laughs> i know a, a lot of the game is supposed to take place out at uh this uh mining facility um it's a really intense looking place from what they've shown with like really uh, if, if i'm not c getting confused with like star wars or something um giant hunks of rock with like red lightning shooting between them <laughs> It looks like really intense. I might, I might be confusing <laughs> different things. Like, are there stormtroopers in your memory? The next, the next uh, star system coming to Star Citizen in Update 4.0 is called Pyro, and there's a lot of red lightning in that system too. So I, I may be confusing different visuals, but yeah. But that's a good point too. Like Star Citizen is um, an online multiplayer game. But there will also be, made by the same people, a single-player slash multiplayer cooperative offline-focused campaign experience where you're going through a story where you play as... The original idea was that you will play as the character that you will be playing in Star Citizen, but this is your time in the United Earth Navy where like every citizen spends a couple years in, serving in the Navy kind of like in Italy you either spend a couple years as a uh, first responder or a couple of years in the military Every everybody does it it's mandatory I'm sure they have like different health things that can get you a pass but like that you'll be playing in this single-player campaign uh, doing your time in the Navy and there's going to be a war on with I think the Banu um, it's a race of somewhat stereotypical at least right now we don't really know how the story is going to play out stereotypical looking like space piratey alien bad guys with sharp pointy teeth and uh, limbs that articulate in directions that are not quite like ours. Um, and it's going to be pretty freaking sweet. Uh, they've gone all out on this thing. There were, I think, 10,000 pages of dialogue or something like that that they had to shoot. And they got real, real freaking actors. Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill. Uh, Gary Oldman. Oh, did they? Wow. Yeah. Oh, I, oh yeah. Okay. Yep. Um. Oh shoot. Um. 
No, not. She. What's her name? Uh, yeah, what's Jillian her name? Anderson yes. from X Files. Yeah. Mm. Um. Oh shoot. Um. Andy Circus. Oh, good one. He's he's doing mocap, of course. Yeah, he's a mocap the... guy. Well, I well, mean, mocap everybody. Everybody was performance captured. Yeah, but um, he's doing mocap acting for, for yeah, an alien <laughs> for someone non-human. Of course, of course. Because uh, he's like Specialty. the mocap king, um, and he is. I mean, Andy Circus is the boss. He's he's going to be playing like the leader of the the aliens we're at war with. Okay, so is there an ETA for this. Not that it would be Absolutely reliable. Not. Dang it. Yeah, Aww. they stopped um they stopped even promising. Yeah. Makes sense. The last yeah. time they said it was coming out, they was gonna be coming out in twenty sixteen, I think. They might have said twenty twenty <laughs> at one point, but that's um, part of the controversy behind this game because we've been crowdfunding it it's for a so big long. Controversy. Yeah. And then they've reached Oh, just over half a billion dollars in crowdfunding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So people like want the game. I mean, it's very playable. Star, the Star Citizen aspect of the, the verses. Yeah. Yeah, it's very playable. There's still a lot of bugs, and you're you're basically guinea pigs for for the development team. But gosh, it's still fun. Oh man, I love the winter. Oh, it's so, oh, it's cold though. All right, I gotta get make me some tea here. Hold on. All right, here's some water. Gotta, all right, let's just put this on the stove here. Get that boiling. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for this tea. Oh, you know what? I think really fondly of you, boiling water. Gosh, you're going to be missed. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hey, kids, do you know what time it is? Story time! So there I was. It was the year 2009, I think, maybe 2010. Uh, I had just spent a year or two applying to two jobs a week without getting anything. No interviews, nothing. I was apparently really bad at making resumes. And I finally got a job on a hot air balloon ground crew. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I have, I just have the weirdest stuff in my resume. Uh, I mean, I don't put any of this on my resume anymore, but I guess in my CV, (laughs) I've got just so much random crap. This is one of those things. And uh, it was a weird job. Um, this, the the founder and owner, one-time owner of LDSSingles.com was a, I'm not, I'm not really sure what you call them. You don't pilot a balloon. You, they're not called pilots. I think they're Inflators. aeronauts. Oh, that, that's aeronaut. I think yeah. I think you're an aeronaut when you control a balloon but uh yeah he 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 was one he had a balloon uh it was a big basket and a big envelope um he, it's an envelope uh that's the balloon oh. that's what it's technically called an envelope and uh yeah he was able to take eight people up it's not including basket. himself yeah 
So total of nine people up there. Um, and you know, everyone's always asking me, what was your insurance like that you got to do this for work? Oh, I didn't get to do that for work. I was on the ground crew. Uh, you don't hire people to go up in the balloon with you. They, they are useless up there. It's you just need, taking money away. It's one person controlling the balloon. What you need is people on the ground uh, to wave the balloon down once it's time to land. Just You just jump onto the side of the basket as soon as it touches down to try and hold it there. Uh, but we'll get there. You know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff you do. So um, I get a call the night before at like 10 p.m., maybe even 11 p.m. sometimes. Hey, I need you tomorrow morning at uh, 4.30. Uh, just be ready outside because he knew where to pick me up. Yeah, this is when all three of us were rooming together. No, no. It wasn't? No, no, no. Oh, I, I was alone. Grandma, Grandma what? Grandma Robinson's house. I feel like I, I was at grandma's house when this happened. Uh, I don't know why. I think you were married. Huh. But maybe not. I, I, might mean, been, I, I never lived with grandma, but I might have been chilling with grandma. On the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right, oh, yeah. Go. I should say this was a summer job. This was uh, yeah. not during the school year. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and if it was on, during the school year, then we only really flew on weekends. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I got out of the job before school came back around. But over the summer, I did this. 4.30 in the morning, he picks me up out on the street um, on, uh, what was that, Canyon? Canyon Road? He'd pick me up. Uh, there would usually be someone else that he had picked up before me in the, in the truck with him. And we'd hop in the truck, and behind the truck, there'd be a trailer that had the basket and the envelope. And we'd drive out to one of two parks. One was in uh, Lehigh, very close to the uh, Timpanogos Temple. There was a pretty big park to the southwest of the temple. That was the place that we, that we preferred to uh, launch from because it was a really big park. Um, and there were other ballooners that would often launch from there too. Um, and they're an important part of this story because uh, whenever there were other ballooners that you launched with, uh, it was tradition to go get breakfast together after you oh, landed. Um, the people, I guess the customers, your passengers meet you at the park and... Uh, the first thing you, we do is we lay the basket out and the envelope. Um, we get the envelope all hooked up to the uh, top frame of the basket and get the envelope laid out on its side, nice and straight and flat. And then uh, we get a, oh yeah, we make sure that the uh, various lines that are used to control the balloon to open different flaps and stuff mm. are all straight and whatnot, um, that there, that the crown line was attached to the top of the balloon. The top of the envelope is called the crown. And there's a rope that goes from the top of the balloon, uh, out away from the basket. 
and you just pull that all the way out. It was like, uh, I don't know, maybe 200 foot rope. Um, and then you set up a couple of fans down at the, um, I'm not sure what the technical term was anymore, but like what I would call the mouth of the envelope, the part where the torches would like heat everything up. Uh, yeah, you get, you get a bunch of fans just pointed inside of that as some one person holds that open and they just start blowing air in. Once there's enough air in there that it kind of starts to blow up a bit, uh, you can start using the burners to start heating that air up. And eventually you start to get the envelope to stand up. And uh, I was always put on the... Uh, crown line i hated it it's the worst job i mean it's, it's not supposed to be but my boss was such a turd about doing this right his instructor would constantly berate him for being terrible <laughs> at getting his balloon up he was way too slow so oh. my job was to just hold this giant balloon down as much as i could so that when it stood up it didn't go past all the way up and then start pendulating pen doing do, doing a pendulum thing back and forth <laughs> pendulating i love it I, i'm supposed to keep it from going up too fast so that it just goes all the way straight it just stands but they he had was, just you doing that yeah usually it was just me you should because i mean the way he was doing it we should have had three people yeah on that's that crazy thing. yeah we've was, gone to a bunch of festivals and balloonists have had me come and and jump on a rope with their crew before. Well, they were probably better at their job than this guy. Uh, they probably thought if they could get you involved, you'd pay for a ticket too. <laughs> right. Um, there were no handles, you know, it was just a rope. So I had to like wrap the rope around my hands and it was just <laughs> squeezing my hands. I, it felt like my hands were going to break. Um, and then, you know, whenever I wasn't perfect at keeping it from, pendulating i swear that's a word i should be really don't think um you know i'd get oscillating i would get berated by my boss i'm like dude you're doing it even i knew he was doing it wrong like you're going so slow you're you're taking all of the strength out of me i don't have the endurance to just hold this giant balloon down for forever but anyway you get that thing standing up um You've got extra ballast weights in the uh, basket, you know, like sandbags or something. And uh, you get all the passengers in. Are those going to come into the story at any point? No. Can I ask a quick question then? Yeah. You always see like on TV, they oh, want to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. They want to change yeah. their their buoyancy, I suppose. Right. And so they, they cut one and they drop it. Yeah. Do they really just cut those things? I mean... Probably once upon a time they did that, but that is not a part of normal ballooning nowadays. Maybe if you're like racing or something, yeah. or there's some kind of. <laughs> I just suddenly had the, thing? the balloon image racing. in my yeah, mind totally. of get someone getting clocked with this bag of sand right. that oh, yeah. fell from the sky. Yeah, uh, no, that's not. I mean, honestly, I don't even remember there being those weights in the okay. basket. I'm just saying it because I've been programmed by television for yeah. my whole life. I honestly don't remember any extra weights except for us. Once the balloon was standing, other people on the crew would just be hanging onto the outside of the basket mm -hmm. to be that extra ballast weight. 
Yeah. I just picture some guy's face like in a just straight dire panic, just like, hurry up, get on the balloon. <laughs> I mean, that's with this with this boss in particular, that's kind of the way it was. Once it was up, it was time to go. You got everybody into the basket mm-hmm. and uh, he, uh, you kind of, we, we timed when he started the burners to when we jumped off the basket, you know, and then away they went. And uh, from there, our job was basically like the movie Twister, where oh, we're yeah. in the truck chasing the balloon, the balloon tornado, um, watching different signs of wind uh, on the ground so that when it's time for him to land, we know what to tell him. You've got ground wind going in this direction at about this speed. So you know what to expect. We're also spotting power lines and things that he might not oh. be able to see from up there, telling him where they are. Uh, we've got radios. Okay, We're talking to him over ask. radio. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the, the way you control the balloon is by um, climbing or descending. And at different layers, there will be different wind directions and speeds. And you just use those to push your balloon around. That's how you fly a balloon. Did he have any instrumentation with him, though, to uh, that read that and, and gave him that info? Or was no, he just you just have to, on his own? Yeah, you go up and down. You just kind of, Feel it as out. you're going up, you pay attention to what you're running into. And Crazy. Yeah. I mean, there might Jeez. be stuff like that for there is. more professional people. I don't well, know. Well, so even Heather's dad, you know, he, he, he paraglides. Right. He's got stuff. Cool. To, to use while he's out there flying. Well, I don't know. Uh, maybe he had some of this stuff. Uh, I don't remember it, though. Yeah. So, yeah, we just follow him around driving the truck. Um, I, I ended up driving the truck a lot, too. But you're, like, stay, staying to roads and things. Yeah, definitely. So you're trying to keep an eye on them. Correct. Or you're radioing in. Yeah. I wasn't. When I was driving, I was not on the radio. I had a... Yeah. Someone else next to me. You're following like roughly parallel to their yeah. direction of flight or whatever. Right. Um, follow him. Uh, he'll radio down that he's going to start his descent and he wants to land at roughly this place. And we'll try to get to that place before him while the other person is watching where he's at, trying to tell me he's actually going to touch down sooner or he's going to miss that spot and go over here probably. Sounds so absurd. It's pretty crazy. Uh, and uh, it's super fun, though. I mean, it sucked being up that early in the morning, yeah. but it was it was pretty fun. Um, and then we would get out of the truck once it looked like, yeah, he's definitely going to touch down here. And we get out to where we can follow the basket until it's all the way on the ground and then we just jump onto the side of it. And hopefully there's not a lot of ground wind or else the basket will tip over and everybody will fall out and it's it can be kind of violent. But most of the time we landed fine. Then it's a matter of um, packing it, all of that stuff up into the trailer. Uh, you throw the passengers into the trailer along with the basket. They just sit <laughs> In the in basket. The basket. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay, that's funny. Um, and at that point, driving is pretty intense because uh, you don't want to stop too suddenly. Oh, you really can't start <laughs> too suddenly, <laughs> towing too much weight. 
I mean, not so much weight, but yeah, you just want to be easy on the brakes. And then we would go back to the park, drop off the passengers to their vehicles so they can drive home. And then we would go refill the, the, the propane tanks. And uh, as I said, if we launch from a park where there were other ballooners, then it was tradition for us to go to Jim's Diner in American Fork um, and get breakfast together afterwards. And um, this boss was pretty cool. He, he paid for breakfast for us whenever we went. And we did usually launch from that park. And when we did, there were usually other ballooners. So we had breakfast afterwards pretty frequently. And we always refilled the burners, the, the propane tanks, before going to breakfast. Before. And it got to the point where my brain forged a connection between the smell of the propane <laughs> and the food I was about to eat for five years years afterwards if i smelled propane Start i growling. would salivate and my stomach would growl it was li- it was a very literal pavlovian response i would get so so hungry i wonder if that's why uh, your boss he was compelled to do this because he had like created the he had that same thing the pavlovian right requirement in himself He's like, oh man, you know, we we have to go get some food. <laughs> oh, we're about to eat breakfast. Oh, I gotta get some propane. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Dang it, that's what I was gonna. Do. Oh shoot, do it. You're gonna do it better. Thank you for being our brother. Wow, did that we might just be too that? energetic though. Okay. <laughs> we'll take another run at it then. Okay. For, For being our brother. <laughs> that the first one was too energetic. Gotcha. For show notes and other brother goodness, check out our website. Be sure to come back next week and tell your friends so they too can become a brother of the brother of the Another brother!